0: The Dirt Talk podcast, um, this is not a Monday episode. Thursday episode is a special edition. Special edition. What is the, do we have a title for special edition? Have we come up with a clever name for this? Aaron's Adventures. I do kind of like something like that. Aaron's Audacious Adventures. Audacious Adventures, yeah. (laughs) Some alliteration. Aaron's Advantageous Adventures. (laughs) Aaron's Advanced Adventures. Advanced, yeah.
1: (laughs) um Aaron's all day adventures because it's typically all damn day. Uh
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one was gnarly, dude. Mm-hmm. As far as all day, it was Yeah, this one <laughs> Can you give some context about what this one is. So this one this episode is going to be a summary of my recent Europe trip. It is a lot of content to discuss. So I feel like we ought to talk about it cuz I feel like people want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And um my schedule these days does not allow for easy podcast scheduling. Well, <clears throat> that too. So with those two things combined together, here we are today talking about my recent Europe trip. Mm-hmm. If you haven't noticed, if you don't follow me on Instagram or the social media, I recently went to Europe. Or if you're listening to this months later, mm-hmm. just for you
1: know, some context, Aaron recently went to Europe.
0: Yes. Um... Because I feel like that's the first thing you need to do when you go to Europe. You need to make sure everybody knows that you went to Europe. Yeah, it's an, it's an important thing you need to brag about. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Have you been to Europe? No, I haven't. Until now,
1: I have now. <laughs> well, there's always like, I find like uh, people do kind of like parody videos of, you know, things people say after they just got back from Europe. Like oh, oh sorry that's a euro sorry I've got I've got I mean Amer- I've got American <laughs> dollars don't worry or like yeah, we'll
0: we'll have some vino oh, sorry wine It's so frustrating yeah. I want to smack those people but I'm trying to be funny and talk about it every chance I get well you are drinking bubbly water a lot now I am so... yeah but that's every time every time I go because that's not just a Europe thing yeah you go Central America, everywhere else South America that. yeah Middle East but I wanted to go to Europe. To expand my horizons and see how other people did things, we've seen a lot of the United States as we've talked about. I've been to forty-seven of the fifty states. I've seen work in almost all of those from construction. Forty-seven, yes, wow. Um, we've gone to the Middle East. I've gone to China with for construction-related things, Mm -hmm. and I had always I've always seen Europe. They seem very advanced and very refined, so I thought, let's go see how they do work because I think the United States can learn a lot from them. That theory was proven correct. <laughs> the United States can learn a lot from the Europeans because from a construction standpoint, because they are so refined and well thought out that it is upsetting it's not like it here. Well to be fair, they've been doing it for like a thousand years longer. They have a head start. Yes. They have a head start. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the reason behind it, but also it's a global economy now. So we don't have that much of an excuse. It's yeah, it's true. It's not like, <laughs> well, we've
1: got a lot of years to make up. Mm-hmm. We've, everybody can even out. In that yeah. Sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I made the trip up um, with the help of Chris from Awesome Earth Movers. If you guys read the magazine or have, follow his stuff, his stuff is all over the damn internet all the time. If you look at heavy equipment related stuff, um, asked him, hey, you know, who did you talk to? How did you arrange everything in Switzerland? Because that's where I wanted to go. Switzerland, there's all these demolition companies out there, and I see them online all the time, Eberhard, a reger, keybag. And I'm like, I want to go see these guys because they there's I don't for whatever reason, there's just always big stuff to tear down in Switzerland. And <laughs> let's go check it out. So Chris connects me with Hugo and Urz and Marco and all the folks over at all these companies and we put together this trip and then they also say paul who helps chris uh and and does construction media as well he also says you ought to go to Lieber because from switzerland from where you'll be in zurich they have the mining excavator factory in colmar france and i was like sign me up (laughs) because mining excavators are the Liebherr mining excavators are said to be the, ca- the Cadillac of mining excavator. And I would love to see where they're mining. Oh, yeah. So I contact Bear, We arrange a visit for France and Germany. So everything shakes out after a few months of planning. We decide to do three days in Zurich, four days, because we landed in the morning. So we got a Sunday to just check things out, which instead we saw demolition course. Pretty cool. Three days of three demolition companies in Switzerland. Then one day with Lieber in France, one day with Lieber in Germany, and then one day hanging out in Munich before we left. Because I like to explore another city before I go home, wherever I travel abroad. That's just a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. So this was not a paid trip. We paid for the whole thing. We weren't doing any paid work whatsoever. And I like that. I very rarely do paid work nowadays, surprisingly. We, we after the company has grown, we have teams that do all the paid work that we have to do. I get to go wherever things are cool. So Europe is cool. Create great content. Create more brand awareness for BuildWit. Create connections that weren't otherwise there. So there's a lot of value there, but we we were not paid for it, which I prefer because then there's no expectations we can just show up and do whatever the heck we wanted to do. So it was me, I brought my cameras, and then I brought Angel with me, one of the OG BuildWit part of the OG BuildWit fam mm-hmm. for the sake of the vlog. So everything that we did in Europe will also be on YouTube as part of the vlog, the BuildWit vlog. I think Love we it. have seven videos <laughs> to make that are all pretty long. Yeah. And I think the first ones will be out uh maybe the first ones by the time this is out. The first one could be out. Okay. So, we get on a plane, and we fly from Nashville to Zurich. We fly Nashville, Philadelphia, Zurich. Uh, the night before, Angela and I got way too lit. We, we drank so much the night before. <laughs> You're just excited, <laughs> man. You're excited. It wasn't excitement. It was just total um, uh, uh, stupidity. Uh, so, we show up to the airport hungover. We fly to Zurich. We get in at about nine in the morning. And the other cool thing about the timing of this trip was I timed it so that we would be in Europe the same time. The Stutzman folks, Shea Stutzman and company, would be there as well from Colorado. He has an excavation company in Aspen. And he wanted to go see how the Germans or the Swiss do demolition to help inform his business, Mm -hmm. which is very smart. Yeah. Very, very smart. I was really impressed with how curious he was. Well, that's a lesson you can't learn just over the internet. No, no. And so he flew halfway around the world to go learn how other companies did things better than he does so that he can do them better. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, man, if only we had more of that in this industry. He could learn you know, a lot of contractors could learn a lot from this guy. So we show up, we immediately put our stuff down at the hotel and go to a bridge demolition project. They were demolishing a railroad bridge um, and they had to shut the street down. So they only had Friday night to Sunday night or maybe Monday morning to complete all of the work. And so Eberhard had two 352s on this narrow street. We walk up and there's like a crowd of people all around the job site. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I thought, I don't know, maybe there's some bar or restaurant or something like that. That's super popular. But no. It was all the people watching the construction and demolition (laughs) (laughs) because it was right there. There was a fence set up, but the excavator, you could almost reach out and touch it since it was such a small work area. Mm -hmm. So within the two days we got there when they were kind of cleaning up within the two days, they removed the bridge entirely and the contractor had built the new bridge next to the old bridge. And so the next phase after the old bridge was gone would be them scooting, sliding the new bridge into place. So the new bridge was already built. That's awesome. I feel like I've seen like, um, shoot,
1: what are they called? Just shoot, what is, uh, like not slow motion, but the option when you shoot it for like a whole day. And it's yeah, like time-lapse. Time-lapse. Why can't I think of that word? Yeah. I've seen time-lapse video of that stuff before. And it's it's wild because it you see them start taking this bridge down. You're like, what are they What's, like, what's happening here? And then all of a yeah. sudden it's like, scoot, and it's in there. Super cool.
0: Typically, I haven't seen them build a bridge alongside of an old bridge and slide it in in the United States. I know it's probably been done, but that's definitely more of a European thing. What are the reasons for that? Mostly space constraints. There's just not a lot of space over there. and So they
1: can't afford to... As in, they can't afford to build it somewhere else and then bring it or like it just.
0: I think they're just uh, just the whole European construction scene is just more refined and well thought out. Sure. And so I think that's one of those things. It's like, well, we could just accelerate the schedule. We could leverage the little bit of space we have. Because they can build it without shutting the bridge down or build most of it, right? That's exactly it. So they built it on the side without disrupting the rail bridge, without disrupting the streets and the businesses around it. And then Within a month's time, they replaced the bridge A to Z without disrupting anybody. Was the bridge over
1: a street or over a river? It was over a street.
0: Yeah. So we saw that. That was really, really cool. Uh, that was with Eberhard, the big Swiss demolition company. Um, we had our first Swiss meal, which was very tasty, Down down Zurich. Zurich might be one of my favorite cities I've ever visited. It is so pretty and clean and well thought out and it just it's just a nice place. Mm-hmm. It's just such a nice place. Switzerland overall, as you can probably imagine, absolutely spectacular. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> did you yeah. ever did you have any uh a raclette meal there? No. So basically like a fondue except a griddle. Mm. And the idea is It's basically meats and veggies and then often potatoes and cheese, which, like, of course, that's amazing. Yeah. But it's like you you cook the meats and veggies kind of, like, as you want a bite of it. And so it's just, like, all these bowls of raw. And it's like, I want a couple bites of this, a couple bites of this, a couple bites of this. And you just cook it on this, like, really hot thing. But it's, like, at a table
0: and it's very social. And in fairness, I did not really – I wasn't a super big fan of any of the food I had. Okay. Yeah. Because it was all just – it was all just like really heavy. Yeah. Really heavy. Everything was so heavy. <laughs> and it was like, can I just have some leaves? And and that's <laughs> it's partially just my eating yeah. habits. But even like the Middle East, you'd go and you can just get meat. Like it's just meat. That's all you get is just meat. And uh, here it wasn't like that. It was just everything had potatoes and sauce and yeah sauces cheeses potatoes. yeah Yeah. cheese and yeah it was just everything was so heavy but second day we wake up in zurich and we are with a regger so we go out to a big um, a regger demolition site where they had their pc 750 and pc 800 demolishing a big concrete structure on top of an existing concrete parking garage Anywhere, those are massive demolition yeah. machines. So they were on top of the existing structure, but they weren't completely demolishing the structure. So they were going to keep the parking garage down below, but they wanted to get rid of the building up top.
1: Oh, so the, the garage was below ground. Yeah. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, it
0: subterranean. Um, so we got to see those big machines and they it's interesting in demolition. You can configure the booms in different ways. So they have all different lengths and configurations for each demolition machine. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had like the medium size stick and boom on there with a concrete processor and they were just munching on the concrete. Just munch, 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 the, munch, you,
1: munch. You've posted a couple times about that. Um, I think somebody maybe had asked, actually, I think it was on our Slack channel. You had posted a, a picture of it and somebody said, what, is, you know, what does that do? And you're just like, munch concrete. Yes. Just goes nom, nom, and nom. And then once you see it, you're like, oh yeah, obviously that's what that's for.
0: Yeah, it's it serves two purposes. It, you're you're removing the structure mm-hmm. and you're pulverizing the concrete so you can load it out and recycle it simultaneously. So is it is it grabbing
1: the concrete as it kind of munches it, or it's,
0: you you kind of you grab it and then it just clamps down and smashes it while you're while you're going. Okay. So and then it can also shear rebar.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, That's like so, pluck it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you can you can shear shear steel with it as well. Sometimes smaller rebar. So the interesting thing is in this was a big difference between Europe and and the United States all the concrete on that project would have been recycled in the United States but it would have been crushed crushed and turned into road base and sometimes they can't even use it as road base cuz the DOT won't pass it as road base mm-hmm. so you have to find some use for it whereas in in Europe they use old concrete in new concrete it's a key ingredient in new concrete like in the United States, we do recycled asphalt pavement wrap. So we'll mix a certain percentage of old asphalt into new asphalt while we're making the new asphalt. Uh Europeans do the same thing with concrete. So all of the concrete gets hauled off, brought to facilities that recycle 100% of it. Not just as crushed material, but as concrete.
1: How much of that process is for cost-saving measures, and how much of that process is for, like, sustainability efforts?
0: It's both. Kind of both? Sustainability is super noble, but it has to make sense financially. Mm-hmm. It has to make business sense. So until there's a business case, companies don't act sustainably. I I, I hate to, you know, pull the, yeah, pull, so the, just for, pull the sheet off that one. yeah. But, uh, and, and, and it's not that simple, but it has to, a business has to function at the end of the day, or else it doesn't matter how sustainable a business is. If it goes out of business, then <laughs> what's the point? Mm-hmm. So- Um, the, the thing is about Switzerland is the government is very particular about recycling and there's no new landfills being permitted. So they don't throw things away in landfills. Um, so everything, everything is recycled, especially the entirety of buildings. Mm -hmm. So they'll recycle at least they said typically around like 95% of built ninety ninety five percent of every building is 100%
1: completely recycled. You, I mean, I'm sure there's
0: full industry just for like the recycling of building materials. Yeah. And yeah. these companies have whole sorting facilities themselves. So they haul everything to the sorting facility instead of sorting it on site. And then the sorting facility sorts everything from there. And there's a very small percentage of waste. and But that waste doesn't go to a landfill. It typically goes to be incinerated for either power or to help produce something like cement. Interesting. Yeah. Whereas in the United States, especially in a place where... You have a lot of land available and landfills are easy to permit. All of it just goes to the landfill. You'll say salvage your inert material like your concrete, your steel, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But all the junk will just go right to the landfill. Just because right now in America there's not infrastructure to like do that to re- to recycle it, yeah. and there's there's not a financial incentive to recycle. Oh well, yeah, it that's the other part. It's just so cheap, you know, twenty thirty bucks a ton to throw in the landfill. Why would I? Why would I spend the time and energy to try to recycle it when I can just haul it to the landfill? Mm-hmm. So uh, we got to see a regular, It was terrifying uh, to go to that project because we went in the parking garage underneath the machines working, and you could feel. The whole structure shaking because these are massive machines. These are it's a PC 750 well, yeah, it's way
1: more than any cars that are stopping on top of it or anything it, like that.
0: And, and they're not just machines stomping around up top. They're machines literally destroying the structure, <laughs> <laughs> chewing away at the structure. Yeah. So you could feel the whole building shake and hear the poof, poof, like a right up above you. And the whole time we were all just like, I don't want to be here right now because I just saw how big those machines are. And this is—I know this is rated as a bomb shelter. Yeah, you might be able to like still do the math in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I know this is perfectly safe, but it does not feel that way at all, especially because <laughs> the whole place is shaking right yeah. now. Uh, but that's the interesting thing: is Europe they require in buildings a certain amount of subterranean space to use as a bomb shelter? Okay, which I didn't know, hmm. or they—they they have in the past. I don't know if they still do, but that's what I learned. And just keep in mind, all of this is what I learned, which doesn't mean it's correct.
1: In your experience.
0: So we go see that Oregor site, and then we go to the second Oregor site, which is where they were uh, they incinerate trash, a big incinerator, right in downtown Zurich. You wouldn't really know. It just had a big stack. But otherwise, it didn't look like a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And that's where they had the Rex, which was the biggest demolition machine in Europe. It was a Liebherr, a big Liebherr, like 9200, I think base model machine, and it's a 300 ton demolition excavator. And the thing was chewing through a foundation that had more steel than concrete in it. And it was just munching away. But the most interesting thing, and I think I talked about this in the other episode when I talked about Europe, is all the machines have oil quick on it. So they can take different attachments off and put other attachments on without having to disconnect and reconnect hoses. So even a a 300 ton demolition excavator had oil quick on it and it would switch between the hammer, which was the biggest hydraulic hammer I've ever seen. And then the processor and then the bucket and it would be able to grab the different tools that he needed while he was digging through this footing. So he wouldn't just have a hammer on all day. And it's like, shoot, I don't want the hammer on anymore. So you have to get out and it's like, 20 minute process to the hoses that big Mm -hmm. disconnect them and good luck. There's none of that on a, on a, on a piece of equipment that big. So that was super cool. What's the time it takes to switch? Um, a minute. Okay. So 30 seconds to drop the tool and then you pick it up and then you make sure it's connected and you're ready to rock and roll. It's, it's insanely effective. It's insanely effective. And they believe in it so much. They'll have it on a machine that size, which is completely insane. Mm Mm-hmm. So it didn't, it wasn't configured when we were there to the th- to full weight because the full weight is when it has this whole big arm on it. When it's really high up, it was just chewing away at the foundation. So it kind of had like that medium configuration, but it was spectacular to see. And we got some pretty cool pictures with it. The operator stopped. We got to walk around it, walk in the cab. It was awesome. It was just the whole trip. It was amazing how open all these companies were to having us on their sites. And showing us everything mm-hmm. and, and, and collaborating with one another. I mean, like Eberhard and Oregor, you know, they compete, but they're working with each other at the same time and they're all in every, they're all on the same team together. And it's a lot more collaborative in Europe than it is in the United States. And even it's a lot more collaborative from a um, general contractor and owner standpoint. So the liability is shared between everybody doing the project rather than all the liability just being shifted onto the contractor like it is in the United States. Mm -hmm. So you get just a much more collaborative environment as a result. And you could, it was, it was obvious when going out to these sites. So that was a regger. Um, That was, it was, it was really cool to see that big machine. Mm -hmm. I'd seen it, I'd seen it all over the internet for years now. And to see it in person, I'm like, yes, that's the one right
1: there. That's Like it, it, it's that specific machine's the only one or like that?
0: It's the only one of that kind. Line. So Lieber's built a few of them and there's one more in Europe I feel like. Okay. But there's not very many. Like it, it is a sight to behold if you see it. It's like this yeah. is rare. You don't find this, yes. it. okay. And it's branded in a colors and that's another thing. Every machine is branded. Oh that's cool. Every machine is custom painted. Every machine. So it's white. It's neon yellow. It's orange. It's red. It's purple. It's blue. It's pink. They're all painted different colors. And I like Eberhard. Eberhard's like a turquoise or like a seafoam green and a highlighter yellow. And so they'll paint the whole counterweight Eberhard and it'll be Eberhard on it. And All the trucks are the exact same color. Everything, all the people, they're in the Eberhard jackets, Eberhard pants. You can tell what company someone works for and what machine belongs to which company just based on the colors. That's cool. Yeah. Do you think there's a reason that that, isn't necessarily as popular in America? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to the hyper-competitive nature of the industry, which drives profitability down. With less profit, you have less money to go invest in your equipment, for yeah. example. So it's not unheard of in the industry. Because, I mean, obviously, in, like, in we America, work with a lot of companies who do paint their equipment. But some, I mean, it's starting to become more common, but on like a percentage basis, it's almost 0.0%. Not every company puts cow spots. No. No. But Europe, super common. I mean, even just taking the train through uh, the few countries we did, you just see equipment everywhere. everywhere it was all painted. It was all branded. Cool. In every country we went to. So uh, next we went to uh, Hurleyman, which is a smaller demolition company in Zurich. We met with the owner's son who studied in the United States, funny enough. And actually lived in Phoenix. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, I had a job in Miami lined up and I honestly wanted to stay in Miami. But then my dad called me and he's like, you need to come help run the company. I'm like, okay. I guess. And I like stories like that where the kid found their own way, but then they get drawn back into the business. So it wasn't their first choice. So, you know, I feel like they were just on a little more of a solid footing. When they've tried to do something else and have come back to the business, then have just only been in the business their whole lives. Mm There is a certain bit of like perspective that you can you can't gain just being
1: in the family business.
0: No, yeah, it's so so super good, super good guy. They had a Volvo demolition excavator working um, by some Swiss cows, which I was just mind blown by, (laughs) up on the hill overlooking the lake, beautiful. Another amazing thing is all of the demolition machines are demolition-specific machines. There was not one machine that was not purpose-built for demolition that I saw doing demolition. In the United States, typically, you just get whatever you get. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah. Whereas this one, always uh, custom configuration for boom, stick length, different tools, all the different tools you can imagine on the site. Water, dust suppression, onboard, tilting cab, increased counterweight, um, variable width, undercarriage. It's all purpose made for whatever task is at hand. So we got to see that. Then we went to a landfill that was kind of an older landfill. And as they explained it, the problem is they don't permit new landfills anymore. So landfill space is really hard to come by. And sometimes you do have to throw stuff away. So what they're doing and what they were doing at this landfill is they were digging through the landfill, putting it into a processing facility, sorting everything and recycling two thirds of what was sitting in that landfill Wow! and then putting the extra one third back to create, to, to recycle the material, to create value from the material just sitting there and to create more landfill space for additional waste coming into that facility. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, the, I, you, you would think that, you know, once it's in a landfill, like, that's, that's the end of it. It's just like, well, we had no other option, so it's here. Yeah. And instead, they're like, well, even with that scenario, we're still going to find a lot of value
0: here. That's it. And they ended up recycling, on average, two-thirds of the material Jeez, in that landfill. How crazy is that?
1: Well, and if you're doing it that way, in theory, you could make a killing... Going to old landfills,
0: right? Yeah, no. or at least make it profitable. It's like why can't why can't it be that why can't it work for your business too? That's pretty cool. Super cool.
1: Um, you made a comment about the like the, all these purpose built machines. Mm-hmm. Did it seem to you in your experience there, and just in the conversations you had, um, that a lot of these companies seem to have like an especially large fleet? They had big fleets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like if, if you have so many specific machines, you're going to, that do all these
0: different things, you're going to need more machines. Yeah. Right. Okay. They had a ton of machines and, and but, but well, see they're purpose built for demolition, but they're also, you can also configure them as a normal excavator. Without like any huge, like times off to reconfigure. Yes. Okay. yes. And so that's the thing is it's, it's all equipment's all about utilization. Yeah. You want to utilize it as much as you can. Um, so contractors will use a machine that's not really built for the specific job to increase their utilization. Yeah. Because if that's the machine they have, then why not? But the, the nice thing is with these demolition machines is it can be, it's the perfect job for a demolition application. For a high reach application, for a smaller demolition job in which you don't need a high reach. And then if you don't have demolition work, you can go put it to work doing excavation work, for example. By just putting a normal stick and boom on. it, And it's not like that machine has to be, you know, out of commission for weeks at a time,
1: right? To switch that? No,
0: you, yeah. just, you just switch it and the, the stick and boom is already sitting on site. Awesome. They just bring everything to the site so that you can configure that machine however you want to throughout the life cycle of that project, which makes you far more effective. I was going to say, d-
1: does that approach mean you don't have to do as much like pre-planning or is it just different? pre-planning if you'd like kind of know when we get to the site where we
0: can make the decision there or which tool is the right tool for this day's task a lot of it comes down to what the operator wants to use so you give more control and power to the operator the Uh one actually doing the work which is pretty cool i mean they'll switch their tools sometimes 100 200 times in a day just like Five minutes
1: on here, 10 minutes with this, That's it. whatever.
0: That Every single site I went to, it was nonstop switch tool, switch tool, switch tool, switch tool, every single site because they want to use the right tool for whatever is going on at that moment. And, and it, it's just, you, it's, it's a smarter way to do things. And there are some companies in the United States with that capability, but it's very rare. Like I watch demolition around here, man. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> it is painful. Yeah. Painful to watch sometimes because you can just tell that there's just, they're just trying to give her hell mm-hmm. with what they got. And typically it's just clapped out equipment. With You mentioned like that, the oil quick
1: thing. Are you able to like custom order equipment from manufacturers
0: that have that? Or is that like definitely a third party Thing. So I'll get to that in the Lieber. Got it. Okay. In the Lieber visit, but um, that night we fortunately got to go see the airport job, mm-hmm. like I talked about last minute. So we didn't sleep at all. Went to bed <laughs> at four in the morning. We we woke up, started at eight uh, the next day to visit with Eberhard. We visited some Eberhard demolition projects, which were really really cool. We saw Eberhard's shop and main facility their facility is so big they have a mobile tower crane to sort stuff in their yard they have so many different tools <laughs> so many different tools that they have a tower crane to help choose and select tools and put them on trucks Jeez, it's ridiculous
1: because like it's a full-time job for somebody just to sort that way or to like yeah you know set up are
0: we going to need these attachments on this every pad. every tool imaginable was there every single demolition tool imaginable. They also had their sorting facility there. So they haul all the demolition debris to their facility and sort it at their facility, which was pretty unique. We saw their concrete facility. And the crazy thing about the concrete facility is where that's where they were hauling all the concrete from the airport project as well. So we got to see that crushing setup and they had their 395, which is a made up machine. Yeah, It didn't exist when they <laughs> built that machine. Um, sorting and piling up concrete to get it ready for the next night where they come and shove a bunch more in there. Um, so that was spectacular. Got to learn about the concrete manufacturing process and how they recycle concrete into their new concrete. Um, saw their quarry and their quarry was sweet, super nice. They load out on rail and they had this automating system, automated loading system where the truck just drives up. And the truck just gets loaded like there weren't <laughs> any yard loaders or anything like that it was all automated which was pretty slick. That's cool and then we wrapped up the day at eberhard with their museum which museum absolutely spectacular like the company museum the company museum and it's a whole history of the company and how they got started and they had to go to saudi arabia and you you walk through the museum is kind of guided, like here's our first machine. And and they had all the different machines they had used throughout the years, a lot of them restored. And so you get to learn about the company history. And then in the main part of the museum, there's all these antique machines that they've restored that are absolutely beautiful, cool. beautiful, old, old, old machines, old track loaders and uh, all kinds of like a cable machine. And they had... Stuff for kids there where you know you had little mini excavators that you could jump on and move sand around and <laughs> a kids' play area. Yeah. And then upstairs you kind of see through the glass window. It's like, oh, there's some construction models up there. That's pretty cool. And you walk up the stairs. And it's I think at least three thousand construction models oh. in glass cases. It was probably like at least a million dollars in models. <laughs> In die-cast models. Yeah. Some of these models, and I didn't know this, but since Shay is really educated in the model space, he was like, yeah, that one's probably like 50 grand. <laughs> and it would be, you know, a bulldozer that's like 12 inches long. Yeah. Yeah, that tells you it's like a real bulldozer,
1: not even comparable to the price. But you're like, $50,000 for it? What's essentially a toy? Yeah. I
0: mean, you could buy a pretty nice pickup truck of 50 yeah. grand. <laughs> Um, and it was, it was incredible, Mm -hmm. incredible, the scale and scope of the collection. And the crazy thing is they were saying it's, um, a few family members that own Eberhard. So we got to meet the one of the Eberhard. Oh, cool. That it's, so we go out into the lobby. Like I had to go pee or something like that. I'm with Angel. And this guy standing in there, he's like, what are you guys doing here? Just out of curiosity, because the museum was closed. We were there with Eberhard, so we got to go hang out there. Did he ask in English? Yeah, okay, yeah, but kind of in you know like a he- yeah. heavy accent. And like, oh, we're we're with yours, and we're we're just exploring it, and we're we're. He's like, oh, that's that's pretty cool, and we're talking to him about what we do and so on and so forth. And I ask him, so what do you do? He's like, oh, I I, I hang out here a lot and spend time here. I'm like, that's a really amazing model collection up there. Do you, who's who's is it? Who put all that together? He's like, oh, I did. you're like oh what's your name (laughs) I see where this is going Mm -hmm. I get it Uh, but apparently in the family they have like over 10,000 models I mean talk about like a a passion passed back and
1: forth or passed through the generations
0: dude that's I wouldn't even know where to start and a lot of them are custom made Mm -hmm. because I guess that's a big thing is not just buying them but custom building models which is that's a whole subculture I don't, I don't understand. I so appreciate for sure. Are there people
1: who get into like models of equipment and is a big part of it putting it together too, or do they all just come fully put together?
0: I don't know. I, I, they come, they come fully built. Okay. But some people are down or are, are all into building the models. Got it. Like the models that we have like around here just came like that in the box yeah like i just bought that one but but people people could build that from scratch like in their garage nuts yeah and i like looking at that i wouldn't even know where to like where do you even start (laughs) on something like that are you kidding me Uh uh-huh what but it was so much fun for me to learn about this whole world from people who were so into it Mm -hmm. just absolutely in love with this world so that was really cool. Um, we went to uh, Route 66 Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you? Where, where else would you eat in Switzerland? Uh, why not go somewhere that's America-themed mm-hmm. and have some steak? They, they do have horse on menus there, which I didn't know. Did, did you have any horse? No, I wanted to, but we just didn't have the opportunity. Because it was like, all right, I'm at a steakhouse. Am I going to go all in and just get a horse steak <laughs> and then be stuck with that horse steak or like, I want to try horse to say I've eaten horse. Just but to, then that's like the thing you have to eat to tease people yeah. that like horses. Just mm-hmm. one of those things. You you want to be like a boy. Like mm-hmm. oh, I've I've actually eaten one of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Thanks man. <laughs> but then, yeah, you, you, you'd much rather just give me my New York strip. Give me my cow. Safe bet. I have my meat. I didn't sleep last night, so I'm not in a mood to (laughs) to to try to try to to eat a horse steak. Mm -mm. That that takes a certain amount of like energy and juice. I'd be like, hey, can I uh, I have the horse, please? Yes. (laughs) So next morning we wake up. We go to a demolition site for Keybag. Um, you go because he didn't sleep for consecutive nights. Uh, since he also works at night and he was traveling with us all day. He uh, slept through his alarm. So Angel and I showed up at this job site without Hugo, our guide. And fortunately, the foreman comes over, doesn't speak English, but knows why we're kind of there. He's like, oh, you guys here for pictures? Kind of making the picture. And we're like, yes, yeah. (laughs) Let's us in on site, just says, be careful, and then lets us take pictures of whatever the heck we want. And he comes over with his Translate app. He's like, you know, I see on his Translate app sorry, my English is really bad. And so he's, but, and then, and then the next one, he's like, welcome to my job site on his, <laughs> on, on his phone. And I'm like, this love is that. awesome. This is,
1: I love these people out here. They're so friendly. Is that the guy you posted Angel talking to where yeah. they both knew two
0: languages, but none of them are around? Oh, and then they figured out they, one kind of knew Spanish and then Angel knew Spanish so they could kind of communicate. <laughs> but it was, it's really funny watching two people that don't speak the same language communicate because the hand signals are just, all over the place, mm-hmm. all over the place, because you can't communicate words anymore. So you have to try to act things out the best you can. It's just, it's a treat watching two people communicate. I love that, like that. Um, so we saw that project. The guy was a forty-something year operator, an absolute wizard at taking this building down. I could watch. I, I like the big demolition because the the awe, the the scale, the the challenge. Mm-hmm. I like all that. But the smaller demolition projects are more satisfying because you can see more get done in a shorter time frame. There's a little bit more instant gratification. Yes. Yeah. So like in the morning, in the hour and a half we were there, you get to see a pretty good sized chunk of building disappear (laughs) (laughs) and get completely pulverized to nothing by this massive Hitachi demolition machine. Mm -hmm. So we got to see Keybag. We went to another Eberhard job. Hung out at a coffee shop in Zurich, of course, fancy coffee, sue me. Uh, Caught up on work, which was really nice. And then from there, got on a train, went through Basel to Colmar, France. So that ended our Switzerland part of our journey and began our France-Germany part of the journey that included Lieber. So Lieber picks us up, Colmar, France. Google it. Train ride? Train ride. Colmar, France. One of the most delightful towns I've ever been to. <laughs> Unbelievably beautiful. Just like you picture small French town. That is it to a T. Mm-hmm. So we get to Colmar. We have dinner at like 10 PM and I'm sitting there. And I'm like, I eat at like five. I don't like eating before I go to bed. I don't like having this big heavy meal before I go to bed, but What do you do in France? Apparently you have these big heavy meals. When in in France? When in France. So we wake up. I run through the French countryside, through French farmland in the morning. Uh, You run through the town. The whole town smells of pastries. You're just like, this is so ridiculous. (laughs) Am I in a book right now? (laughs) I cannot believe I'm here right now. Uh, We go to first to Lieber's excavator factory. And our tour guide had worked there for like, you know, 30 years and knew everything, everything about the facility and it's where they make their track excavators and their demolition excavators, their smaller construction excavators. Mm -hmm. Um, So we got to see where the steel goes in at one end and then they cut everything out. They weld everything, inspect, clean everything, paint everything. And then it goes down to assembly. And so steel sheets go in at one end. It's all European steel and Liebherr excavators come out at the other end. And then we got to go to the old part of the plant where the mining excavators used to be and that's where the demolition machines are made mm-hmm. and they only make a few of them. And the the they had some big ones in there. <laughs> <laughs> some really 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 big ones. And it was it was cool to see and the unique thing about the Liebherr machines and they told us this was Every single one is made to order. So they don't make machines in a speculative sense. Just to like have a stock of them. No. Okay. So every single machine has a buyer. And every single machine is just a little bit different from the last. Based on the needs of the buyer. Exactly. And they said that's a big thing is we will customize the machine however they want to customize. It doesn't matter. Whatever they want, we'll do. So they customize almost everything. Every single machine. That's really cool. And they'll paint it even whatever color you want at the factory. This is just like one thing, one less thing to worry
1: about, you know, once you get it on your job site or in your yard.
0: It's it's better because typically uh, a lot of times they'll, so they'll ship, you go buy a 336 excavator from Caterpillar, then the dealer paints it. A lot of times they're just going to paint over. You're never going to be able to do. They're not as going to take p- apart all the parts. Exactly. And the yeah. You're not going to be able to paint a machine as well as you can paint it at the factory. And they can custom paint it at the factory in the factory type setting. Not only that, but it's say if this machine is working by the ocean or on a barge, you can, you can do a corrosion resistant paint, for example. Or we know this machine is being shipped overseas and it's going to be on a boat. So we're going to apply this wax to the paint to prevent it from corroding mm-hmm. unnecessarily while it's being shipped. It's just like the details like that are just, it's so German and, and <laughs> engineered yeah and everything is just so clever. You're like, yeah, of course. Why, why wouldn't you use the corrosion resistant paint based on where the machine's working? Yeah, obviously. It's every single machine is built for the exact application it's going to be working in which is really cool. So we got to see all of that. And then we got to go out back, run one of their new lead bear excavators, which was a treat, Mm -hmm. a real big treat.
1: Had you been in a lead bear before?
0: Um, I've never actually run a lead bear. Okay. And it was unbelievably smooth. Unbelievably smooth. Nice. So that was fun. And then we had lunch at a castle up on the hill, a picnic. Like you do (laughs) in France. Among the vineyards. Yeah. Why not? And then we got back to our our regular programming, and that was the mining excavator factory. Right next to the airport, the small airport in Colmar. And this is where they build anything from the 9,100 up to the 9,800, which is one of the biggest hydraulic excavators in the world. Wow. And it was spectacular, Mm -hmm. to say the least. I mean, just seeing we we were with the product manager of the factory of the of Liebherr mining excavators and so you could he could tell you about every single machine every single machine oh yeah this one's going to russia and you can tell it's going to russia because these flaps on the exhaust for example so that so the heat doesn't get out you're like yeah of course okay oh yeah this one's definitely going to the united states because of this warning label and 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 everything about every single machine like you could just point to a machine so what is that going to be mining oh yeah that's going to indonesia to mine coal like he just everybody was so knowledgeable it was so cool that's a pretty fascinating thing because
1: not only do you have to be so knowledgeable about like the base product which is its own challenge but then understand like even like he's seeing differences while it's being you know put together And being like, okay, I remember which one this is because you know it has these changes. Yeah, like that's pretty complex, man. To to have all that kind of like rattling around in your head, it's, that's wild.
0: It's just it's so impressive to be with somebody that's so knowledgeable and passionate about what they do, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Just be yeah, able to anything. Look, that's anything. amazing. Um, so it was it was a treat, and in 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 the French that were, were just so laid back. And this was the first time they've let anybody photograph the factory, apparently. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which is crazy. I have to get everything approved, but that's wild. still got to take the pictures. Still got to take the pictures of some machines that don't technically exist yet, which they didn't really give us that big of a heads up. Mm -hmm. But afterwards, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, that machine doesn't exist. Oh, oh, yeah, of course. And then we go to the back of the factory. And the back of the factory has a 9,600 and a 9,800 sitting there. And I thought we were going to go take some pictures and like, oh, wow, cool. That's 9,800. I mean, 9,800, it's an 800 ton. It's just like. Yeah, it's massive. It's... <laughs> so I've never seen a hydraulic excavator that big. And then they're like, all right, um, we've got, we have our operator here for the 9,600. Let's go on there and run it for a little bit. So we're in France. We're outside of the Lieber mining excavator factory. I'm in the cab of a Libra 9600 on a pile of dirt and surrounding the pile of dirt vineyards, of course, for wine. And you're sitting there taking scoops of dirt and watching this beautiful, massive machine work. And you're just like, so this is interesting information. Like, this is an interesting <laughs> day. Yeah. I, okay, great. This is awesome. So, got to photograph the machine in action, which was a treat. They were just, they were so friendly, so kind. They, they gave us any information we wanted to know. It was such a cool, cool time. So that was Lee Bear Mining Excavators. We drive four and a half hours from Colmar to Memmingham, Germany. Stay there, drive up to Lee Bear's um, wheeled excavator factory. And they made, what did they make there? It's mostly wheeled excavators that they made at this one. And then they made their haul trucks there. I feel like they made one other thing. Oh, they're material handlers. Material handlers. So we go there. The guy that gives us the tour, Hans, he was at Lieber for over 50 years. Friends with Mr. Lieber. Yeah. And he retired. And now he's come back to give tours. (laughs) So that's how stoked on this place this guy is and just knew everything again, everything again. And we start the, fa- the, the, the tour at their training center. So everybody that works there undergoes three years of training. Wow. Yes. And training and in, 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 in trades are somewhat built into the German economy because the Germans understand that trades are important to mm-hmm. our economy, unlike the United States. Uh, so, they have a dedicated three year training program, which will they'll spend a year in their training facility, they'll spend a year on the factory floor, they'll come back, spend another year doing more advanced stuff in the training facility, and then they go back and start working out in the factory, assembling equipment.
1: So, in that scenario, are folks not like providing production value for three years
0: or? Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll help in the factory. Yeah, I guess true. A for a year. So it's not zero production value, but yeah. yeah, they invest in them for three years. But the investment is certainly
1: very high for what you're getting out of them that first chunk of time. That's it.
0: So we see that facility and then we go to Mr. Lieber's original house, which is in the middle of the factory. How old was the company? It was started just after World War II. Okay. Because it was built to, it, it was started to help rebuild Europe. So you had Europe that was obliterated by the war, Mm -hmm. lots of construction. So Mr. Lieber built a small tower crane that was portable that you could, you could assemble a house with and then tear it down super quick, take to the next site, set it up. And so they had one of his original tower cranes in like the lawn of his original house with the factory all the way around it and the original wheeled excavator, Lieber wheeled excavator, original Lieber track excavator. It was, it was super, super neat. We got to see the wheel, bear, uh, the, wheel the the Liebherr wheeled excavator plant material handlers beautiful beautiful facilities unbelievable um they and the fabrication uh, part of the facility they use three different ways of of cutting parts depending on how precise the, the cutting needs to be it'll either be plasma it'll either be traditional just torch. Or it'll be the laser. Dang. And I have not seen laser like that before. So we got to see the machines. Then they paired us up with the Bear truck people. The Bear haul truck is new. Mm-hmm. They're very excited about mm-hmm. it. And we got to see where the Bear trucks made. And then we got to go out to the purpose-built Bear haul truck test track. So it's like this massive concrete field almost looks like an airport Mm -hmm. with all of these tracks built into the concrete that simulate all these weird wear and tear things for the truck and they have all these slopes and it it was it was wild so they drive up in two trucks like all right get in so you get in and you're just like you know you're 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 it, it'll shift you over to one side real quick, shift you over to the other side, shift you over to one side. And then you go over a bunch of bumps and you go up this hill and you're you're flying down the straight at full speed. And it was I was getting actually pretty motion sick because I get car yeah. sick. And so I for sure get haul truck sick, too, because that was it was <laughs> sickening. Intense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was the track where they did all, a lot of their testing to just basically break the trucks over and over and over again so that they could build the best truck they possibly could. And I told them it was a, it's a great time to get into the haul truck market, articulate truck market in the United States, because uh, the two leading manufacturers of haul trucks in the United States have not done very well lately. The leading manufacturer has done very, 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 very not well. <laughs> and everybody knows who that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you've ever run, run one of those trucks, uh, I, I, it's not, I'm not going to say any names. It is painted yellow. Um, they can't keep a transmission really to save their truck lives. And uh, so I told Lieber, I'm like, you guys are, you guys can figure out how to service these things. You guys are rocking and rolling, man. So got to test out the truck and then ate lunch at the Lieber factory, got on a train, took it out to Munich, called it a day, called it a trip. And by calling it a trip, I mean, Angel and I had lots of beer in Munich.
1: Yeah, as you should. You know, you you set it up, I think, a couple of weeks before you even went because we were talking about 75 hard. You're like, well, I just want to drink beer in Germany when I go.
0: Yeah, it was, like, was going to work out timing-wise when I started, but then I screwed it up. And I couldn't oh, that's restart right. it because yeah, I've, I've always just wanted to go to Germany, to Munich, and say I would like a beer and to just get a big old stein of beer. And I didn't really appreciate how big the steins were going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's basically a pitcher of beer. You actively have to drink it because that thing's going to get warm. It's a it's a pitcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was looking. I was like, this is the size of a pitcher. And like, how many do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Oh man, <laughs> love it. So oh, we we had a great time, dude. That's a that's a big one. But I don't know if that was compelling content.
1: Yeah, you know, so many people ask about it. I, I think, especially with the hints you kind of put out there, just like on so on social media and whatever, just like here's you know, this. Is, There's one cool thing I'm doing today and it happens to be in Zurich or whatever it is. I think given like a full scale kind of rundown, it's pretty interesting. And also like, you know, there's a lot of people who listen to the podcast who don't get to travel that way, you know, but are still going to find that stuff super fascinating. And now they get to watch it on the podcast or listen to it on the podcast or they want to learn even more. They can watch the vlog when those come out. Like, I think this was fun, man. Getting to hear the nitty gritty
0: of it all. Good. Well, I hope it was was valuable. I didn't get into all those stupid, stupid things like me getting locked out on top of the hotel and Angel getting left in Germany, but we can get to those things later. Yeah.
1: Well, I will say, because this is related, we've got a good bit of feedback from folks reaching out about the podcast. A lot of people ask for Angel to be on the podcast.
0: Really? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if he wants to be on the podcast. I know. And it's so I'm like, what has to happen
1: like to guilt him, pressure him into doing it? Because a lot of people
0: want to have Angel on the podcast. Mm, if we drank. <laughs> Seriously. But it has to be like the first part. <laughs> if we had beers, we'd be chilling. There we go. There yeah. we go. Warm him up with a beer before we start. Have another beer or two while we're podcasting. It'd be a good time. It'd be a really good time. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Well, I think that was great. Thanks for...
1: For laying all that stuff out, you know, it's. I think for me, getting to hear just the difference in the way that you tell like these stories of like traveling outside of America versus, you know, we talk a lot about your trips, you know, here just because, like you said, you spend a lot of time on the road and you're not necessarily like doing it with a deliverable in mind. It's like we want to go see this thing. I'm going to take pictures because that's what I like to do. And yet, I think for me, it's really fascinating to hear the differences between like those trips and. You know, going abroad.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping to do <clears throat> quite a bit more of uh, travel abroad because it's it's just so valuable for mm-hmm. my my understanding of the world, understanding of the industry, um, understanding of our business. It's just there's so many benefits to it beyond. All right, I get cool pictures and I have these cool job site experiences. That's awesome, but from a big picture standpoint, it's crazy valuable so hopefully later this year we're gonna go back to Europe to go to Bauma, which will be fun where's that in Munich oh in Munich yeah and then oh, Canada for sure and beyond that I'm not totally sure yet we've got some folks to see in Canada putting that off for a couple of years I've put that one off for yeah for, I mean since COVID mm-hmm. I was hoping to do it in 2020 and then that went out the window yeah so. all right well That's the uh, episode on Europe. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it. We'll see you guys on the next one. Stay dirty, everybody.